I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi everyone, I'm Sarthak, and I welcome you to All Things Policy. In this episode, we are again going to discuss about the higher education sector. Few episodes back, we had analyzed the higher education sector. What are some of the issues in the sector, and what can be some of the potential solutions? There has been some recent developments. The University Grants Commission has come up with some draft regulations for setting up and operation of campuses of foreign higher education institutions in India. So, in this episode, I have with me Suman. and we are going to discuss about some of the possible implications of these regulations right how much of the present issues that the higher education sector has can be addressed by it what can possibly be some hindrances what can be some of the unintended consequences so this is what we are going to talk about hi suman welcome to all things policy hi sarthak great to be here yeah so before we discuss about the details of the recent regulations so suman what why are all these things significant or what are some of the major issues right now with the higher education setup like we discussed in our uh, previous episodes i think a few weeks ago yeah the role of the government in higher education sector firstly uh, while in the primary education sector the the case for government intervention is very very clear and you know present there the case for government intervention in higher education sector was a little more nuanced a little more you know different in that sense so yeah so we had established that there is some case for the government intervention but in what form is what we needed to actually you know discuss the issues that we i mean actually we actually came up with at that point was the linkage between the labor markets and education that is becoming a little more fraught or is you know missing because the signaling effect of the education itself or university degrees are diminishing okay so what can the government or what can universities or regulatory bodies do to make that uh, you know that better so one of the things that we discussed was increasing competition the absence of competition was making education institutions complacent and therefore you know was leading to some kind of quality issues or even you know job market disparities as such it's also another thing that we found out or we had looked at was how the gross enrollment rates in india tend to be quite low and uh, so almost around one quarter of our population um, who are in that particular age which should get enrolled in higher education is actually getting enrolled in higher education also there are some institutions uh, where few seats are there and lakhs of people are vying for those seats but then there are also uh, some institutions okay. where seats are there but they are just lying vacant right so somewhere quantity is an issue quality is an issue as you are mentioning the signaling value of higher education also is not there maybe and 
Also, when it comes to regulation, there are issues over there. Then there is centralization. So at the top, maybe certain kinds of norms uh, are decided. And uh, on the basis of that, the entire education system works. And as a result of which, what happens is many times that supply demand, ideally, the demand and supply, they should be in some form of harmony, right? That doesn't happen. There is demand for something, but there is supply for something else. So these are some of the broader areas, I guess, in the higher education sector. So it is really interesting that the University Grants Commission has come up with some regulations for setting up an operation of campuses of foreign higher education institutions in India. So when we're talking about foreign higher education institutions, we mean institutions that are based abroad and, you know, there are they have defined it in a certain way. And this is in um, tandem with what is happening within the domestic education space. So what makes this regulation different and what are some of the important, interesting points, at least departure from existing norms? I don't know how much of it is good or how much of it is bad, but at least departure from existing norms. What are some of those, uh, um, you know, those points? Can you just elaborate, uh, Sartha? Yeah. So... As we had uh, seen in the previous episode as well, that there are massive uh, regulations in the higher education sector at this point of time. So whichever universities are operating within India, right, they don't have as much autonomy. If they have to recruit faculty members, staff, again, there will be so many kinds of restrictions on them. What kind of qualification should be there? What should be the salary structure? All these things. So the recent norms that you have, it seems... The universities, uh, foreign universities, if they want to set up a campus in India, right, they don't have to follow all these norms and there seems to be enough autonomy for them. So that way, I think it is good because they choose their faculty members, staff, they don't have to adhere to these norms. Apart from that, education in India is treated as a not-for-profit enterprise or it is expected to be not-for-profit enterprise, right? So there are some ideological things going around here. Now, this recent regulations, I think, tries to do away with that because, again, within the regulations, the draft regulations, they mention that if a foreign university wants to set up campus, they can set. And if they're making some profits, it can be it can be repatriated back. So this is something which is interesting. Like you are you are moving from education being considered as not for profit to now being considered as profit and profit going back to the main campus the or wherever it has. Yeah, to the source. Right. So this also seems to be interesting. Also, another way to look at it is because education is treated as a not-for-profit enterprise in India. And uh, what happens here is it leads to massive interventions from the side of the state also, because uh, there will be different kinds of uh, regulations. There will be different kinds of checks and barriers yeah. that, okay, these institutions there are, are not, not... There are not enough people or there are not enough social entrepreneurs who are willing to set up, uh, you know, campuses as a non-profit. Very few, actually. Yeah, and it also limits your ability to raise resources. It limits your ability to expand further, right? On So it makes it difficult, right? If you are an entrepreneur, what are the incentives for you? And again, what it will also limit your capacity to expand further. That happens. And also, when you are saying that it has to be not for profit, it also implies that the state will intervene, right? The number of restrictions on you will be will be there to ensure that yeah. you continue to remain as not for profit, right? And it all can lead to rent seeking and other things. So when you are doing away with that clause, these kind of issues can be reduced maybe. Also, 
the regulations mention that the quality of the campuses here should be same as uh, the quality that is uh, in the main campus. So which yeah. indirectly in- means that the kind of curriculum that you have over there, the kind of uh, the kind of methods that you're using, the pedagogy that you're using, all those things, it can be same, it can be similar, which indirectly might imply that you have freedom to decide on your own curriculum, which implies that the centralization thing that we have in India at this point might not be applicable to them. So the universities might have the freedom to decide on the curriculum and other things. Yeah, and it also limits your ability to raise resources. It limits your ability to expand further, right? On So it makes it difficult, right? If you are an entrepreneur, what are the incentives for you? And again, what it will also limit your capacity to expand further. That happens. And also when you are saying that it has to be not for profit, it also implies that the state will intervene, right? The number of restrictions on you will be, uh, will be there to ensure that you continue to remain as not for profit, right? And it all can lead to rent seeking and other things. So when you're doing away with that clause, these kind of issues can be reduced maybe. Also, the regulations mention that the quality of the campuses here should be same as the quality that is uh, in the main campus. So which indirectly means that the kind of curriculum that you have over there the kind of methods that you're using, the pedagogy that you're using, all those things, it can be same, it can be similar, which indirectly might imply that you have freedom to decide on your own curriculum, which implies that the centralization thing that we have in India at this point might not be applicable to them. So the universities might have the freedom to decide on the curriculum and other things. If you look at it from a student perspective, the qualification that a student is awarded at the end of the course will be equivalent to the one. I mean, there is no distinction made between degree that degree or whatever qualification that is awarded in the India campus versus the degree that is awarded outside. So for from a student perspective, I think it's great because, you know, you're getting the same degree at probably lower cost in India. That is one other reason right? why why there could be foreign universities in India because they could be cheaper here than they will be outside. So so from a student perspective, that is one interesting thing. And they have fairly stringent or fairly well laid out rules in terms of who will be allowed to set up, you know, campuses in India. So they have kind of defined it as foreign universities have to be in the top 500 overall or subject-wise and foreign institutions need to be well reputed and they will be they will go through a screening process of sorts right so that way i think that's that's a good thing also in terms of regulatory approvals etc they have mentioned a clear sla of sorts that they will clear out all proposals within 45 days of a complete application you know being received by them that removes a lot of ambiguity there is no waiting you know, waiting for approvals, that game is not there. So I think that that is also a good part of these, you know, guidelines that have come out. Yeah, I mean, uh, there have been instances in the past where entrepreneurs in India, right, who would want to set up campuses in India, they have found, faced different kinds of difficulties. And they have not, I mean, the, all these time-bound processes might not have been there as a result of which it takes years. And many times entrepreneurs will be like, okay, we don't want to go ahead with it because this much amount of efforts we could have put somewhere else maybe. Nice. So yeah. those things can, are maybe taken care of. 
Also, if you have more universities, there there is a possibility that there will be more competition from the universities in India, right? So they will now have to compete maybe with these foreign universities, their campuses here. And again, with competition, the quality of education might improve, right? There are different ways by which quality can improve. One is by top-down inspection. Uh, one is by different kinds of accreditation, which both these methods are there in India at this point of time. But both have their own limitations that we discussed this in the previous episode, right? Uh, with accreditation, again we do not have many agencies which compete with one another uh, with uh, top down inspection again you need to have the kind of state capacity which again lacks in the indian context so the other option is competition which can improve quality so this is one of those ways maybe quality of higher education improves and this is something which is very important because you will find very few universities from india who which are in the top 500 or top 200 right so maybe the seats will increase competition will increase again it's something which is good for the students I mean, what do you see as probable pitfalls or problems with this policy? So again, I would not say these are uh, like problems as such. What I would say is there are some issues which again might limit the outcomes that you expect from the policy, right? Th- these are some of those things which, uh, if we can take care of, the implications might be better, right? For example. At many uh, places in the the draft regulations, they use the term at par, reasonable, right, or things like national interest. Right, some of these things can be interpreted in different ways, right, and which can have an implication. For example, they have mentioned that the fees uh, should be transparent and reasonable. Like good part is they do not have any restriction or on any of those price controls, right? Many universities uh, or many uh, at state levels, many universities will have these kind of regulations, right? So, uh, which again impacts the functioning of these universities. And, uh, but all those things are at least uh, are not there here. You don't have those price controls. But then there are places where they have used the term that fees should be transparent and reasonable. Now, what does reasonable imply? And you don't know that. Quality of education should be at par with the main campus. Now, how do you measure this, right? Quality of education in the campus in India and quality in, in the main campus, right? How do you measure all these things? So, I don't know what are the parameters that will be used because, again, quality is a subjective thing. Then they have mentioned that these institutions or the faculty members their qualification should be at par with the faculty members of the main campus, right? Which is in that foreign country. Now, again, what is the meaning of qualification here? Are you talking about it's you should a have a PhD, or? you should have a master, yeah, it's a degree or are you talking about the kind of processes that they have gone through? Like how the many experience. publications they have, experience, uh, how many publications they have, what kind of research they have done. So again, not much clear and uh, how it will be used by the regulators, right? The the regulators can interpret it in a different manner and maybe they can, I mean, the implications on universities might vary based on their interpretation. Yeah, over there, I think even the cost implication for the university, right? To uh, get professor who's tenured and with all that experience will come at a higher wage bill than a person with, you know, much lesser experience or whatever, whichever way you call it. So what is the incentive for the university to actually, you know, get the professor and how many of such professors will be willing to come to India to take up this assignment? That is also a question that will be need to answer because most professors or any of these, you know, professions rely or 
thrive in environments that are conducive for research, conducive for other academic activities. Can we provide or will that environment be ready for them here? That will make it attractive for them to come to India and teach. That is a question that is on my mind too. Yeah, uh, but one thing that I noticed here that they are not saying that the faculty members have to stay in the Indian campus throughout the year. They, yeah, they yeah. do mention that they have to stay in India for a while, mm-hmm. but it has mentioned that it has to be for a again for a reasonable period. So, what is that reasonable period? We don't know that. So that's uh, that is a thing. But yeah, I agree that if you need to get the best researchers, you also need to have a conducive environment. So maybe all those things. Yeah, yeah, that agglomeration effect should kick in. So you need to have the right kind of maybe research ecosystem. You need to have the, you need to have industries and other things, which again will possibly facilitate foreign faculty from the best faculty from different parts of the world to come to India. So Suman, before we go to the next points, I think we can take a break and we'll be discussing some other issues that might be there after the break. Welcome from the break. So apart from some of these terms which require clarity, another issue might be there is because the way some of these things have been framed. Right? There are many instances where that national interest has been invoked. Right? For example, the universities are, uh, should not offer courses or they should not indulge in activities that, that are against the national interest. So, but it has not been defined what exactly qualifies as national interest. So it can be subjective and it can lead to a situation where the state can intervene into the functioning of the universities. And uh, given that the draft regulations also talk about the right of UGC to inspect quality, suitability of uh, these universities, it might have an implication on that. So there are some points where it seems that the state has an upper hand, uh, it can intervene. Also, the approval that is given to these foreign campuses, it's not uh, like forever, it's for 10 years. So just before the 10 year period gets over, right? One year before the 10 year period gets over, uh, you have to again apply. And uh, again, you have to, that way you can renew your approval. Also for discontinuing courses, programs, again, prior approval is required. So in that way, again, not complete freedom is provided. So there are some places where the state can intervene and the term national interest can be subjective, can mean different things. So that can be an, that can be an issue. And also I think this can lead to a situation where the type of universities or the courses that will be offered by these foreign universities, they again can, they will again be in a particular domain or their type of universities might also be restricted. So do you agree with this? Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, what you say is, you know, heading towards what I was thinking um, I mean, maybe different kinds of liberal arts program and all those things, the or universities which typically offer these programs might not be willing to come here. But yeah, rather, also the uh, demand uh, situation in India seems to be more towards the tech courses. So I would think that more, I mean, approvals for tech based, you know, courses will come faster than, you know, any others. Yeah, I think so. And also yeah, demand wise, as well as the kind of clauses kind of hint towards that maybe. And also, I mean, foreign universities or different foreign countries will also prefer to use uh, this as a mechanism to 
boost their industries maybe because the kind of talent that we have here again generally uh, folks in the tech sector might help again different industries maybe and again some of these emerging tech areas can find the right kind of talent here maybe offering the courses here will help and given that in the last few months we have had announcements of different kinds of uh, semiconductor setups they have been announced in the recent times maybe the universities can help in that area also anything else apart from these uh, clauses that you found maybe problematic yeah, I had, a, I mean, a few questions, I mean, came to my mind was that, does it create a level playing field between foreign universities and the home Indian universities, etc.? So given that the UGCs has been seeking to standardize processes across all universities, you know, they're trying to bring more homogeneity across the country. Is it okay? I mean, how are the rules different for foreign university? How how will giving autonomy to foreign universities be looked at when in another sector you're seeking to standardize, harmonize a lot of these things? That is, I mean, so the question of level playing field comes up. I'm not so you're saying sure. the Indian universities, they have to like fulfill multiple things, but the foreign universities don't have to. So the Indian also, universities Indian might universities, not. I mean, Indian, they seek to bring more uniformity amongst the Indian universities, but the foreign universities do not seem to be under the same rules of, you know, of compliance for what they have set up for the Indian universities in terms of, say, curriculum or anything. So I'm just wondering, uh, is the solution to this is have more rules for foreign universities or maybe reduce the number of regulations for Indian universities as well? Yeah. Reduce, I mean, make them equal, keep the playing field equal for both of them. You could have something very specific to foreign universities, like you said, national interest or whatever else, but that national interest applies to everyone. So there could be something that is, I mean, you know, specific to universities, maybe repatriation of profits. Those clauses are separate for foreign universities, but otherwise, you know, broadly, you should have the same kind of rules for uh, both foreign universities and Indian universities. That is one question that has come to mind. I not sure if there has been, you know, some study or something that has come up, which compares the two, actually. The other thing that I had is, are Indian universities, you know, still considered not-for-profit, while these are considered, you know, while foreign universities can be for-profit? If there is a difference between the two, then we have an issue again over there. So why should Indian universities only be not-for-profit? And why should foreign universities be for-profit? You know, then it changed incentive structures for both sectors and the outcomes you get will also change. So in that sense, I'm a little, you know, confused about where we stand there. Yeah. So essentially the norms that we have, the UGC recent norms, right? They are not, I mean, here they are not problematic. What is possibly problematic is why Indian universities are considered not-for-profit enterprise. Maybe yeah. you have to change that yeah. because there will be entrepreneurs in India, educationists in India who would want to set up, but they're not able to set up because of so many of these clauses, constraints, etc. Maybe removing these clauses will help them. And again, existing universities can also possibly expand further. So will these foreign universities again be asked to follow guidelines of UGC or AICT or whatever? It, from the draft, at least, it, it appears not to. Okay, so if they are not asked to follow these guidelines, why should Indian universities be asked? 
and again so compliance he, but, with he, law. but here here in this i mean in the ugc draft norms right they have mentioned that the quality has to be at par with the main campus mm-hmm. and also i think the ugc has the right to inspect her. so those kind of clauses they have but yeah again separate set of guidelines i'm not sure okay okay again uh, you know also some things on compliance with laws against sexual harassment on campus or protection of marginalized groups i don't know what the situation will be for you know say reservations or affirmative action or whatever so will they change for each of these sector i mean each of these groups is a question is some one other question I so uh, suman but the uh, the sexual harassment whatever laws we have right posh guidelines that is applicable for any private entity right all private entities so yeah. why it should not be the case at any workplace um, generally falls mm-hmm. comes under this right so i don't think why it should not and affirmative action policies right now also you don't have affirmative action policies mm-hmm. for private higher education institutions it's not there it's only uh, so again it's not going to be i don't think it's going to be different unless you have a separate set of law right now we have many private institutions higher education institutions in india some of them will have uh, different yeah. kinds of yeah my, my, so again it will be something that they have decided to come up with some of them will also have those merit come needs scholarships and other things but you don't have a law for affirmative action for private higher education institutions so uh, if foreign universities are also setting up their bases in india that again no, the same thing right should, private entities okay private entities but government yeah, private entities uh, right yeah the government funded or government uh, run institutions still run uh, affirmative action yeah yeah, yeah. that's it but again here uh, they, it's not necessarily their government run right it's the, there's nothing in the yeah, draft yeah. Uh, regulations which uh, mention that so i think it will be same for them okay so i mean there were just some of the questions that i had and i i mean from the covid experience we've seen this if we want to get expertise from abroad if we want to build you know that kind of research or that kind of you know quality education etc is setting up a university only the way forward can't we have partnerships can't we have you know other kind of arrangements between indian universities and foreign universities to you know increase whatever or set up something within a university so from the covid experience we've seen that you know we're moving i mean there is scope to move away from the brick and mortar kind of setup to a more you know flexi setup so could that be explored or is this the only route to getting in foreign or foreign collaborations that is another you know top of mind question like vaguely yeah in fact this is what can also happen right because uh, in fact the private players in india might also benefit from this maybe they will go ahead with different kinds of joint collaboration in fact the different kinds of rules that are applicable for uh, indian private universities they are much more than the rules that will be applicable to the foreign universities so there might be incentives for some form of collaboration between uh, private higher education setup indian private higher education setup with the foreign uh, universities by with some of these rules some of these constraining rules they might not have to follow maybe yeah so th- those yes. kind of things can happen yeah so but finally in the final analysis i think whatever education system that i mean we we come up with eventually it is the job market that will decide the success of it so 
I mean, until that that piece of the puzzle is not solved completely or that is not firing in all cylinders, I don't really see how, I mean, because if the idea of foreign universities in India is to is to arrest the, you know, brain drain or people going away from here or we have to have the other economic development in tandem and we have to have those jobs coming in for people to stay back, right? If that part is not solved, I don't see how this will, you know, really help because eventually if you don't have jobs in India, these people, even after getting a degree here, are going mm. to move abroad. Mm, yeah. So we need to create more jobs and jobs. some of yeah. our estimates suggest that we have to create at least 20 million jobs per year. But yeah, there's also a possibility that people who are graduating from these universities will also help in creation of the jobs. So uh, yeah, let's both, hope that. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's hope that as well. So yeah, I think this is the right point to end this discussion. I think this is uh, overall, if we assess it, I mean, I think it's something in the positive direction, but how much or how, what, what, what will be the outcome or how much it will be effective? Again, that has to be seen. Some of the points that we identified at this point, which can act as hindrances, maybe we need to have more clarity on it. But yeah, I mean, given the present situation, at least there is going to be some marginal change. What do you think, Suman? Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Thanks, Suman. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in this episode of All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle, at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in